And we're back. Uh, thank you uh, so much for tuning in and joining with us on the Mike and Mike podcast here, uh, wherever you are and however you may be joining us or tuning us in. We're just glad that, that you're here. We apologize for the brief little hiatus here through Christmas and whatnot. A uh, little holiday schedule threw some things off, but we are back and better than ever um, today. Michael, how's everything down in beautiful Somerset? It's a spring day, my friend. Just a beautiful July second spring day, or what is it? January second. January spring 2nd. day. Yes, that's spring what day. it is. Uh, but all's well. It's the reason we'll all have pneumonia soon. It's like sixty today, and it was negative four a week ago. Correct. <laughs> uh, we are are back with you, and for those of you who have been tuning in with us, know we started. Couple of weeks ago now, um, on a new idea and a new thought, and what we're doing is we're looking at various Bible characters, and what we're calling not flawless, um, and we're just talking about you know guys that oftentimes when we look back at biblical history, we tend to elevate certain characters to where they, they become mythological creatures that they can do no wrong, and therefore we can never be like them. They can't be role models for us because they're Greek or Roman gods, and these guys are just far beyond us. But the beauty of what the scriptures do is the scriptures tell the truth, that these guys are average, ordinary people, just like you and me, that while some days they do extraordinary things, other days they make as dumb of mistakes as you and I do. And our point is not necessarily to you know kick these guys while they're down, but our point is, is that we want to go back and look, uh, be honest with the text, and point out that things aren't always what, um, as, as Michael uh, eloquently put in our last time, the felt board version that we learned in Sunday school. Um, but there's sometimes a little more deeper things going on here. Um, and so that, that's kind of our goal again today is to, to uncover another one of these characters. That's probably a terrible pun for where we're going. Um, uncovering another one of these characters and uh, some things that, that went, uh, went on in, in, in his life. So Michael, who we got today? So diving deep in into uh into prehistory um what what's what's the word uh, pre pre-diluvian pre-diluvian history uh back to noah and uh i think i think i, I like the nothing i like better than quoting myself i i like the felt board uh concept because you know the the felt board version of noah is you know true you know he was blameless in god's sight and that's the way the scripture refers to him um but i think i think that we often get a sanitized version of what um noah experienced and 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 how that had to impact him and his family and and so i i, I that, that i found that thought interesting and i thought it might be interesting to, to spend a few moments on it on it this morning um or this afternoon, whenever you're listening. <laughs> when you're listening. Well, well, let's do this. How about I'll tell the felt board version. And then because I know it's always makes uh, Michael uncomfortable to deal with the uncomfortable details. I'll let him tell the uh, PG-13 maybe version or the adult version, the adult Bible class version of, of Noah. So felt board version is everybody is wicked on the earth. There's nobody doing anything that is remotely righteous except for Noah and his family. And so good old Noah 
starts telling everybody that the flood's coming. They laugh at him. And he starts for the next 100 to 120 years, depending on your, your time there, uh, builds this gigantic boat, ushers all of the lovely animals in two by two. They get on the boat. They go sailing for 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights, um, go sailing and then send out the doves. And they walk out under the cover of rainbows into a perfectly reformed world and start life over singing and dancing with the animals. Stop me if you've heard that version before. Yeah. And, and so I think it's important to parse out the parts of that that are absolutely true from, from the parts that are probably sanitized. And, and so, you know, the parts that are, the parts that are absolutely true is the wickedness of earth. Um, I think, I think the Moses you know, pinning this for us, kind of lays it out just the way you did. So I'm going to just read from Genesis uh, 6, 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth. Every inclination of the thoughts of their mind was only evil all the time. That's pretty straightforward. Um, the Lord regretted he had made humankind on the earth and he was highly offended. That's the net version. I think that's an interesting uh, rendition of that verse. So mankind as a whole has managed to offend God to the point where we're ready to wipe them. Uh, wipe them off the face of the earth, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. So the almost impossible to imagine scenario that there's really one clean heart in a world that, you know, uh, scholars would estimate is millions or billions. It, it seems almost impossible. And yet that is where, um, that's where the world found, found itself, um, had devolved into, um, you know, in, and you can count the generations, all things considered, not too many generations from, from Adam. Um, it's pretty remarkable uh, how, how quickly that happened. There's, there's probably some lessons there, but we'll leave that, we'll put a pin in that for a minute. So, so that part, I think we're on board. Let's just quick, quick side note here. So the next time that you're tempted to say the world is worse than it's ever been, I'm going to send you back to Genesis chapter six. Yeah. It's, we're not to the point as bad as we think things are happening right now. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't think we're under any form of, you know, reformation or restoration or enlightenment or call back to God, but understand that it was so bad with Noah. God regretted creation. Now let's just, just think about how bad that has to be given where we are today and how bad we think things are. Yeah. And if if you if you think of of human existence as an opportunity to glorify God, um, what what the world had devolved into is that God was not being glorified in anything that man was doing. Man was uh, man had, had gotten to a point where the the actions, the attitude, the speech, the interactions nothing glorified can you can you imagine an existence where nothing you do glorifies god the marriages don't the marriages don't glorify god the relationships don't glorify god the um we, we've talked about how god can be glorified in business god can be glorified in marriage god can be glorified in interpersonal relationships god could be you know and literally none of that existed but, it's pretty and, phenomenal. And, and even a, a layer further not only was there nothing actual physical being done 
it said that their thoughts, there wasn't even a pure thought happening. So it was deeper than just the actions, because sometimes, you know, on the outside, we may act or react in certain situations, but our thoughts may be pure, our intentions may be pure, we may have a great idea or something that we wanted to do and things got awry, but let's understand they never had the basis or intent of anything that resembled righteousness. And, and, and two things I would just add to that as we talk about Noah. Um, one is the, the fact that we're still in the age of the patriarchs makes that even more poignant to me. You know, it, it's very conceivable that God was still talking to the heads of some of these families directly. And yet this is how they are uh, acting and reacting to that. that that's going you know, to talk about disrespect. And I can't remember what the, what the version said that I was looking at that I, that I liked highly offended. I'm talking about being highly offended. Um, like when your kid, you're, you're, you're speaking to them and they directly immediately go disobey what you've just asked them to do. That, that is a level of disrespect that is, you know, gets the irritation meter up really high. Now imagine doing that to God who's speaking to you directly. So, so that that's one. And, and two, this is the culture that, that Noah finds himself in. And I don't, I don't think that there's any particular reason to, to believe that Noah was a, a, a monk, you know, a hermit, someone who, who did not have any interaction with the rest of society. Uh, I would think probably because of the way he lived, that there was kind of a natural separation. He didn't want to be part of what they were doing, and they probably didn't want to be part of what he was, he was doing. But I, I don't think that we find that Noah was some kind of recluse. I, I just I don't if, – if it, perhaps it's true, but we don't see it in the text. Um, you know, for whatever it means, Peter refers to Noah as a herald of righteousness. What, whatever that means, whether that means he was actively evangelizing, which I'm, I'm not sure about, or if it just means that his life was evidence of, of something of God's handiwork, whatever it means, it means that he was having interactions with others. Um, it has, if it means nothing else, it has to mean that. So yeah. no, yeah. no was interacting with this culture. At, at the end of the day, and, and we're, we're fortunate enough, you know, Michael and I, for those of you that are outside of our immediate family and don't know where we're at, but, but we live in central Kentucky. We're not too far from the Ark Encounter exhibit, but if you've been there, if you've at least seen pictures of it or, or talk, seen the dimensions of this thing, he didn't build this underground in a layer. I mean, this isn't like, you know, some world villain, super villain that's built this whole thing in secret. And then it's like, aha, here's the boat. Like this thing was built to scale. And, it, it, and if you think about it, just when he's put the first frame together uh, before all the boards and it was all in together, but just think like framing a house. When you put the first pieces on this thing and tied it together, it's going to stand out. So, you know, uh, Michael and I were just talking about this kind of in our, our precast meeting, but you know, whether it makes it sound way more uh, formal than it really is, <laughs> yeah. you know, our pre-show meeting where we, pre -show we meeting. exchange notes. No. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not convinced he was, you know, stump speeching every day because again, there was a lot of work that needed to be done to get this arc off the, off the ground, if it, as you were, but also, you know, just his lifestyle and the fact that he's building this contraption 
and no doubt there were nosy neighbors. I've got nosy neighbors if I have garbage cans out to my house for more than 15 hours or asking me if everything's all right here. So I can't imagine if I start building this monstrosity in the yard, somebody's not going to say, hey, what is this? So there were opportunities for sure for him to interact. But as Matthew 24, when Jesus talking about the second coming, said that just like in the days of Noah, they acted as if nothing he said was going to happen. That people were still marrying and giving in marriages and going through their daily life as the rain started falling. Nobody had ever seen a storm like this before. And as they were, even as the rain was falling, they acted as if it, nothing was going to happen. And yet, once Noah came in and God shut and locked the door of that boat, it was all over but the shout. Um, that, that's probably a little too accurate in this case. I, you know, I, because of the um, because of the interaction that Noah doubtlessly had with those around him, and because this uh, this vessel is going to to be a center of attention. Again, think of the culture we're in. This is the culture that, that Noah was in, and um, because of that, this. I think it's just obvious that when um, flood waters begin to rise, where does everyone go? They they go to the biggest boat they've ever seen, um, and I, I think the, the, perhaps the most sanitized part of the um, flood story, and and the part that I've never really heard discussed, and maybe it's because it's just too grim is one what that what that experience had to be like in the boat as it becomes a center of attention so so think about think about that and 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 then the the knowledge of what's happening outside no one his family knew some of these people i mean they i don't they grew up together they went to school together whatever you know they, 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 were, they were part of the same community yeah and no question they were evil and like we, we understand all that but no one knew these people there was there were some human relationships there and and, and and let's be clear there's family outside the boat too absolutely right you know noah's not an orphan or you know immaculate conception noah's got relatives his wife's got relatives there's well, cousins aunts uncles outside the boat I, it's been a while since i've done the math but i think the math works out to where um noah's grandfather methuselah was yeah. um outside the boat. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's good point. There's no question. There's family outside the boat. And if you're outside the boat, I mean, he's like, Hey, Noah, like, I think you could spare a kangaroo, my man. Like there's room in there. Kick right. out, kick out a couple of Buffalo and we can get six of us in there is has to be a, I'm being a little bit flip obviously, but can you imagine like Noah's got all these animals. He's going to let all of us die. Right. And the the pounding and the screaming and the horror that had to be part of that experience for everyone on that boat. Galatia, or excuse me, Genesis six seven is a is a horror movie. That that it it is is for a purpose, and it it, it is a we probably over sanitize it because it's a good reminder for us about God's wrath and about. Um, God being highly offended and the and the implications of that, but it's a horror show, and the 
the trauma that Noah and his family had to endure, uh, you know, pre-flood, as the flood began, and then the realization of what's happening, you know, as they're on the boat is, is probably something I haven't spent enough time thinking about. Yeah, we, it, it's, it's interesting in our culture, in our society, you know, sometimes we think that these new mental health diagnoses that we come up with are because they're new. Uh, but PTSD has been around since the dawn of time, right? Anxiety and trauma have always been there. We've just now found words for them and figured out, you know, some ways to try to cope and deal with and treat them. But to think that Noah and his family on the boat, hearing all of that and the understanding and comprehension of it happening, if, if you don't think there's some trauma there, then, then I, I don't, you're not reading the text, honestly. And, and, and not to skip ahead if you had more to say there, but I think the other part that, that probably gets over sanitized is, you know, I've seen the children's picture books where the door of the ark opens and they, they're in a, a meadow and the grass is green and the bunnies are hopping and the birds are flying and the sun is shining and God has cleaned the earth of everything that's evil and it's a new day and, and, and they kind of prance out the door. And while I, the, the part of that statement I agree with is, is God has cleansed, cleansed the earth from evil, um, that, that, is, that was a violent and destructive process. And what they walked out on was not pristine. Um, at least I, cannot, I, I can't fathom that that is the case. I'd, listen, I'm in, I'm, we're, as you mentioned, we're in central Kentucky. It's not too many months ago there was some pretty historic flooding in eastern Kentucky. The aftermath of that flooding was not God cleansed the God cleansed this area and isn't it pristine? It was destruction. It was layers and layers of mud and rubble and displaced homes and destroyed buildings. And remember, although we're talking about a pre-diluvian, I like that. That just sounds so intelligent. Although we're talking about a pre-flood world, we're kidding ourselves if we're thinking we're thinking we're talking about an at least a somewhat unsophisticated world. There's millions of people. There's buildings. There's cities. Like there's there is some level of um, infrastructure. Um, uh, people who's smart, way smarter than we are, have studied this. So there's there's millions and millions of people on the earth, and some had gathered together, and there was there were some buildings and some towns, and those things were destroyed. There was rubble and probably corpses all over. And so, the, again, the, the idea that, well, we've been through this traumatic experience, but now we get to walk out and, and it'll, all be, it'll all be bright and sunny from here on out is probably an unrealistic reading of the text also. Now, clearly they had God, and that's the important part of this conversation. They, they had God and they had God's promises and they had God's rainbow. But part of me wonders if the reason that the rainbow had to be there was because it didn't look like it was all okay when they came yeah. out of the ark. Like, mm -hmm. God, this doesn't look like everything's okay. This still looks like a muddy, destroyed, um, violently uh, ended world. Where's the hope? And, and, 
and and so God provides this beautiful, colorful thing as a as a symbol of hope. You know, why was that necessary? It may have been because things were still pretty grim um, as where they were walking around. Right, and and let let's not all let's also be honest with with the text too. I mean, they were on the boat for forty days. They rained for forty days. They were on the boat for a year. Rain for 40 days. They're on the boat for a year. So, you know, again, I, I think about this and, and, and maybe maybe we're missing something here. But, you know, I, I think about the, you know, destruction in eastern Kentucky or, or what I've seen in the flood as it washed back out of, you know, Fort Myers and Naples and that area down in there. But all this stuff had been underwater for a year. Right. So it rained 40 days, and 40 nights. And then there it's everything's been underwater for a year. And then the water subside. And here we go with, with land again, you know, I've seen what some of these buildings and things look like being underwater for hours. Like I, I, I have no comprehension of what that looks like underwater for a year yes. uh, and, and, and how much of that's destroyed, but not only is it destroyed, but here you now have eight souls that are going to repopulate the earth, but also rebuild the infrastructure. Yes. You've got, you know, what, hundreds or thousands of contractors descending on Fort Myers, Florida, <laughs> trying to put Florida back together. Like, can you imagine we got eight dudes, you know, that are going to put this place back together? I mean, that's that also seems to me to be very an overwhelming task. Overwhelming is a good word. I have to imagine that's how it felt, especially if you if you saw some of what the world I'm just talking like architecturally and, and, and buildings and infrastructure. If you saw some of that before the flood, uh, it almost reminds me of, of, you know, the exiles who came back to Jerusalem, who saw the temple in its former glory. For those who had never seen it, it maybe wasn't that big a deal. We're going to rebuild this thing. We can have a vision of what it's going to be. But for those who knew what it was like, it was pretty devastating. They uh, wept. Yes. It was, and so I, I think, I think about Noah a little bit like that. He, he had a, they had a, a remembrance of, uh, obviously, it was evil and corrupt, and, and they, they understood why, why it had to happen. But they also knew where these buildings were and what it looked like and, and how much work it was going to be um, to have a livable future. Like, how important was that rainbow? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a token. It was, a, it was something to hold on to. It was some hope um, in a world that, that looks pretty grim. So... With, with, with all that being said, and I like the PTSD term that you brought up, because I think, I think it's relevant here. Noah and his family experienced some trauma. And what impact does that have on what we read about Noah? Um, a couple chapters later, what is it, chapter eight, nine? nine. I've lost my train of thought. Is it nine? Yeah. Um, where Noah... Um, cultivates a vineyard and and drinks wine and becomes drunk and has an episode with his with his sons. What uh, ends up with a curse on Canaan. I, I, I'm, our, our point of this podcast is not to, to dwell on the the specifics of what that episode might have been. I think there's a lot of uh, debate and speculation about that, and, and 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 rightfully so. And it could have been a really really heinous, ugly, vile scene. Don't, don't know exactly what happened. 
Yeah, if um, you want to lose eight to 12 hours of your life, get down that rabbit hole. <laughs> try, try to read and follow some commentators. It gets weird in a hurry. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's every bit of down the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole of what potentially those words meant and all that. But let's, right. you know, as Michael said, that's that's not the point of this. Point of this is more, Noah, as he gets off, decides he's going to plant a vineyard and he's going to work the ground. Um, you know, again, could be for a lot of reasons. Could be he's seen enough bloodshed and death. He's going to put his hands in dirt and, and that's what he's going to feel more comfortable with. Who knows? But he gets to the point where he's going to plant a vineyard. Now, again, I'm not your agriculture guy, neither is Michael. Um, we're both inside dogs. Uh, but let's just understand it takes a long time to, one, cultivate the land just to get it ready clear the brush clear the field because again all this stuff's been underwater for a year clear the so, mud probably clear, yeah the, you get wait for it to dry out first right i mean it's got to just got to be a period where this thing dries out then you've got to till the soil rake it up get ready plant your seeds have your first crop process the grapes let them ferment and then he decided he would enjoy the uh, fruit of his initial labor and you know from what the text says noah got drunk and got drunk enough that he was pretty sloppy in his tent yes and i think just to be clear nothing that we've said here is in any way an excuse for that i, I don't that, that is not there's there's not an excuse for that i do think knowing and and dwelling a little bit on the trauma that noah went through helps maybe in some way understand or explain his state of mind. Um, if you lose, if you have experienced that kind of trauma and you lose sight of God for just a little bit, just for a moment, man, it gets pretty grim. And, and so uh, was that, uh, was that part of what happened in Noah's case? I think that's a, I think that's an interesting thing to that think about. That could be the the other side of this too that I've I've read a few commentators um, say and, and and it's I'm I'm throwing this out there purely for debate again I'm not excusing any of this stuff but you know is is it possible that Noah is the first you know vine dresser you know has the first vineyard you know I I don't think we we don't see a lot of that in the first few chapters of Genesis somehow he's figured out how to do this right. But if he's the first person to ever make wine, if he is the inventor of wine at this place, does he know what the rudimentary process is that, you know, hey, if I drink so much of this, I'm going to lose control of my faculties? Or is this one of those things that nobody's ever tried before and he's the first guinea pig? Is it just an interesting thought there? I, to me, he had this idea of fermentation and all that's come from somewhere. The seeds and the grapes, I mean, that's had to come from somewhere. Um, but, you know, if he's the father of wine, then maybe, maybe he stumbled upon this drunkenness. I think I have more um, faith in, and faith probably not the right word. I, I, I probably have more, confidence in the human ability to figure out ways to get drunk than you do like I, <laughs> I, I just think that human history would tell us that there were probably any number of ways that 
they were developing alcohol pre Noah, pre flood. Um, I, I got a feeling this is something Noah had seen, but I, I, that's obviously speculation. I, I think, I think what we do know is the, it, it appears that the Bible condemns Noah for that. And so that, that leads me to think it wasn't completely accidental. And, and, and again, I got, <laughs> I just think history tells us that, look, if you figured out how to get drunk on mead, you've there, you've been, you've been, humans will figure out a way to, to, uh, to consume alcohol, unfortunately. Our, our um, Russian friends with turning potatoes into vodka. I mean, right. There, there's, there's, there's ingenuity our, out there. Yeah. Our innovation is, is unlimited in that, in that sphere. So, but, um, so Noah, Noah made some pretty heinous errors after the flood. And I, it's again, we're speculation playing amateur psychologist is the, the things that he went through and the things that had to always be going through his mind, survivor guilt, you know, I'd even add that to the mix. Um, when, when you lose sight of God for just a minute and you got, you have those things, it's pretty easy to, uh, it's pretty easy to fall to a place where chemical enhanced states of mind are pretty appealing. And I don't, I think that's where Noah can be pretty relevant to a lot of people that we know. Well, and, and here's the thing that it, it, if you, you know, if you've experienced this or been around, you know, people that, that have substance abuse problems, a lot of them are trying to get to the point where they can forget about a situation. You know, you, you're drinking and you're taking drugs to try to forget for a while a very hard trauma or pain. If maybe that's what what Noah stumbled onto here, I, I, I again, I don't know. As Michael said, we're, we're you know uh, Monday morning psychologists here uh, trying to to dig through some things. So, and to be fair, we're extrapolating a lot from one instance, but. That's what we're given, and and it's not unfair. Right, and and we're trying to understand. Right, let's let's understand. That's what we're doing here is we're trying to understand where he's at. But I think that makes Noah a lot more relatable character, right? You know, and and that's the purpose of what we're going through with these these studies is how many of us have thought, well, I could never be Noah, when really. Noah could be your friend that's a veteran that's come back from serving a couple of tours that has to get hammered a lot in order to try to forget the things that he saw and did um, and, and maybe needs some counseling and needs a close relationship with God. But, but that's the other thing that I think is, is so difficult for many of us to get our mind around is the point that Mike, Michael just made that it doesn't take much to take your eyes off God to find yourself in a difficult spot. Now it, we, when we look back and we study these old Testament characters, we get frustrated. We get mad at them. We say stuff like, I would never do that. If I walked on dry ground through the Red Sea, I would not complain about manna. Well, there's a million people that did. Like, I have, it, I have a hard time believing that I'm the one guy that's like, you know what, this stuff tastes pretty good. Like, I, I, I feel like if you're in the moment, you we would have been just as bad as they were. And I think with Noah, you know, in the moment, I, I can understand – how a guy who God literally saved him and his family from death, put them on this boat, put them in this place, saved them. I mean, if, if there's no other reason to have full reliance on God than going through what he went through, and yet 
there's still the scars of the experience that has led him to make, you know, these decisions and still make poor decisions. So because we at any point in our lives have a close relationship with God and are fully dependent and relying on God to believe that we are somehow insulated from being stupid in the next moment is patently false. Yeah, I think, I think that's well said. And we're talking about a blameless person here. Mm-hmm. At least that's how he described in scripture pre-flood, how much more so somebody who um, doesn't have as close a relationship with God. Um, I think it's a cautionary tale. It's, it's easy to, um, and, and I think there's, there's evidence that, that Noah uh, spiritually bounced back from this. Uh, you know, his, his, his references in the, in the, in the new Testament are laudatory, right? Um, but it is, it's pretty cautionary. I think that somebody with that pedigree, if you let me use that word, that, that relationship with God, that blamelessness after going through some stuff, finds it easy to, to make bad decisions. And uh, so I, I think that that's what makes him an, an interesting study and, and uh, a good conversation. Hopefully that uh, was worthwhile to somebody today. Absolutely. And, and that's, like I said, we're, we're going to dig through a few more of these guys, but that's ultimately at the end of the day, if what you found after, you know, 30, 40 ish minutes with us today is, you know, a, a better connection with Noah, a better understanding of who he is, then I think we've, we've done everything we, we wanted to do today. Um, but to, to sum up a couple of things. So he's a cautionary tale for, for a couple of different reasons. One, you know, the things that he went through, there were obviously some trauma, even in doing good for the Lord. So you can find yourself a herald of righteousness and still go through some real hard things that are, that have to be dealt with. And secondly, because at any point in time you have a close relationship with God and you are fully walking in God's steps does not insulate you from making a bad decision in the next days, weeks, months, or years. You know, all of us, I think, from time to time get lured into that false sense of, you know, I'm righteous, I'm doing good things, and therefore I don't have to worry about temptation when the reality is it's lurking at the door. And it may even be the trauma from some of the righteous things that you've done that have opened that door for temptation. And so, you know, if you can look at Noah's life as that cautionary tale and and see, and maybe, maybe it helps us to, for lack of a better term, cut some slack to those that have struggled with some substance abuse issues to think maybe there's more to the story than just wanting to get high. Agree with all that. Um, I think uh, hopefully, as, as I think a lot of Bible stories do, hopefully leaves us with a, a little sense of grace, uh, God's God's grace to us and our, our grace we should be extending to others. So I uh, enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to the next one, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. And we'll be back. Uh, hopefully we're going to try to keep this on a weekly roll, um, but uh, find us uh, wherever you can find us. And uh, we're thankful that you're there. Hey, yeah. If, uh, if, if what we're doing is worthwhile, share it with somebody, right? Um, or uh, or tell us how to do it better. We're, we'd be open to all that. I, I'm still going to shoot for once every two weeks, but I appreciate your optimism. <laughs> Love you, That's brother. Right. See you. Love you, man. See you.